a set of fangs. We actually, uh, I was really surprised I didn't know it was possible, but we have about six fangs. Finally cleaned up everything, dried it all off, and laid everything out. It ended up being, uh, I stopped counting at about 187 bones. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to From the Ground Up. So a few things to get out of the way, as usual, portcitypythons.com. We do have some animals available. We actually just took pictures of a bunch of animals by we. I mean, Melissa struggled to take pictures of crazy babies that were moving all over the place. And we're going to get them up on the website as well as Morph Market and all that good stuff soon. So look out for that. And as always, t-shirts. And if you guys haven't seen, I am distributing a product called Gaps ecosys and that is a cocoa product it is certified organic and if you're interested in something like that it is right now being distributed at the wholesale level so if you're interested in something like that just give me a ring is that a good way to say it ring me beat me if you want to reach me that sounds not good um what message me on instagram (laughs) facebook that's a classic Um, line from our childhood oh that may be your childhood but Okay, someone messaged me today. Okay. I want to get this out of the way real quick. I want to get that you don't understand Kim Possible references. No. Uh, <laughs> I got a message today, and it seems like, you know, I always encourage everyone to reach out always, and I always answer everything. But I got a message today on Facebook of this guy taking out his ball and having a gator bite it. So, if you guys, I always encourage you to reach out, but if you want to send me pictures of your cousin Bob taking out his nut in some redneck wait, bonfire. Wait, ball connected to your body. Like, like testicle, yes. Oh. Yes, and the gator <laughs> munched down on his testicle. Why did he send you that? I don't know, but you can stop it. I also get this guy who sends me pictures of bees stinging him or wasps stinging him. So I know it's probably not anyone on this podcast because you guys are intelligent people. Um, just know that I don't want to see anyone's nutsack or anyone's <laughs> nutsack being bit by an alligator. Oh, my God. Did you respond? No. <laughs> I would respond like, I don't want this. Like, please, no more. Please, no more nutsack. I mean, I think you only have one of those. Does he have multiple nutsack gator <laughs> videos? And it was like, it's not like it was from YouTube. It was like, it seems straight from video. his fucking phone. Yeah. He's so from video. <laughs> So res- respect, I guess, for um, thinking of me, but... Uh, <laughs> right, why did they think, oh, I really need to send this like I'm sure uh, Port City Python? really enjoy this alligator nutsack video. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wanted, that just happened like an hour ago, so I wanted to mention that. And now I know there's going to be some smart asses out there sending me weird videos now. No. But <laughs> oh, someone sent it to Brian Holt, so we aren't the only one. Maybe it's like a spam thing going around. Why would you? What? Is, <laughs> what do you get out of that? Someone enjoys it. Oh no! Um, I also feel like before we introduce our guests, we have to acknowledge the elephant on the 
camera screen. <laughs> what are you talking about? We already talked about not we talked about that not on our own and people are already asking. So I don't, know, I don't see anything. Do you wanna admit or do you wanna talk Well about some people are listening on audio and they don't know what's going on. Alright, she is very disappointed that I have a black eye and she thinks that it matters. For me, I think it looks cool and I don't care. <laughs> well, people are already asking about it, so it matters. Ah, uh, well, yeah, I didn't get bit in the face. I just got punched in the face, you know, your average black guy. But, uh, yeah, can we move on from that? Yeah. Not enough about my appearance. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so today we have on Dallas Rua of Rua Colubrids. So, Dallas, I know you just had your first clutch of corn snakes, and we're trying to kind of flip perspectives as far as... um getting new blood per se in the hobby and everything like that so could you give us a quick intro of who you are where you're from and kind of how you got into reptiles yeah for sure so um obviously i'm dallas uh wife and i got into reptiles about three three and a half years ago um did some research for probably about two or three months we've always wanted snakes uh, but we wanted to make sure we did it right so um you know did our research set the tanks up ended up going to repticon um, down in sarasota actually and picked up two beautiful corn snakes. Uh, we got a caramel sunkiss tessera and an aniri sunkiss tessera. Um, so those were the you know the OG two. Those were the, the first two, and uh, it's kind of just snowballed from there. Just about anybody in the reptile hobby knows, you know, once you start, it's uh, it's pretty addictive. So sure. yeah, so, we just kinda... so you ended up moving, and why did you end up moving, and how was it moving with? the snakes that you had, did you only have those two snakes at the time? Uh, no. So when we moved from, uh, we just moved from Florida up to Alabama, uh, just for some better job opportunities and, and such. Um, moving with the snakes was interesting. We had, uh, you know, a 26 foot U-Haul and I was towing my truck behind that. She had the, the snakes in her truck. Um, at that point we had both corn snakes. We had the jungle python, uh, you know, carpet. We had the ball python, um, and I believe that was it at the time. And then we actually acquired a white sided black rat snake since we've gotten here, uh, rescued that from a friend at work. Um, and then we picked up the three Solinsky eye silver leaves in Texas uh, a couple months ago. And now we've got the corn snake hatching out as well. So collections grown pretty exponentially in the last three or four months. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about your experience breeding corn snakes. So, um, when you picked those up, were they fresh babies or hatchlings? Uh, yeah, they were. I think they were about um, maybe a month and a half, two months old, maybe 20 grams each. Um, you know, barely barely took up any space in the deli cup. Um, I remember when we first got them, um, you know, being brand new to snakes, we're feeding them a pinky, and the pinky looked like it was just way too big. We're like, there's no way that little snake can get that thing down. Um and then, you know, we've, we've had them since then. They're both over 300 grams now. Um, one of them's in the four by two by two behind me. She takes up almost the whole thing. The other one's in a 40 breeder, just as big. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, from, from babies, um, we may, you know, we wanted to do that as opposed to getting something that was already an adult. Um, that way we can kind of work with it and learn the temperament and stuff like that. So it's definitely been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, I think that's always interesting when people want to buy adults, especially for their first time. And I 
but that's just because I'm impatient. Yeah, but if, if it's your first time breeding, then it's like <laughs> you've never even had a baby. Now you have 14 babies to grow up. And I feel like it's certainly a shortcut, but I mean, that must be overwhelming because you don't even know how small they start out and they're tiny. Oh, and for sure. And, and even when we got ours, like I said, they were about 20 grams. Uh, some of the corns that we're hatching out now are maybe, you know, single digits um, as far as gram weight. And they are just, you know, five inches long and super, super small. Uh, so it's, it's definitely interesting to see them at that size and see them at their current breeding size and then know all of the trials and tribulations along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of trials and tribulations, did you end up brumating that pair? Uh, actually, no. So there was no brumation. Um, I had read a bunch about it. Um, you know, the three rule, the three years, 300 grams, three feet, etc. cetera. Um, but my female was actually um, acting really twitchy. She was just kind of all over her enclosure. Uh, you know, I decided to just throw them together on a whim just to, you know, see what would happen if I introduced them. So I put both of them in, um, on one side of the bed. By the time I got to the other side of the bed to grab my phone and take a picture, they were already cording and locking up. So, I mean, it happened within you know a minute or two. Um, so I just let that you know kind of roll. Wasn't really expecting it. Um, and then I ended up locking them up again uh, about three or four days after that just to kind of make sure that we can get a viable clutch out of it. So. And you still, it seems like you're hatching kind of late. So you know what month you ended up pairing them up? Um, I don't off the top of my head. I have it written down. I know that the eggs were laid on July 7th. Um, so, I mean, you know, give or take 30 to 40 days before that um, was when they were locked up. Um, I don't have it off the top of my head, though. Yeah, and for perspective, like, because we brewmate and we take out and we end up pairing up usually March or so, and we're right. usually at our latest double clutches will be like early July or something like that. So, and usually our pairs are harder to get together. Like, they don't go together immediately. Like, yours must have been so ready to go at that point, and they just went, you know, like that. And it's crazy because clearly these things like want to breed, and obviously she must have held on the follicles for a certain amount of time in order for her to, uh, to get the job done. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, um, a really rewarding feeling to know that, you know, we took these things from babies, brought them all the way up and, you know, they've had such a good life and been thriving so much that they were ready to go. So it feels uh, really good to, you know, to have them do that and, and know that we did a good job along the way. And what did you do after that? pair i mean did, were you feeding heavy before then or did you do any preparation or you were just like now's the time and just went yeah completely on a whim i did not you know power feed beforehand i didn't do um, unfortunately any calcium or anything like that no extra supplements uh, she was getting her regular adult mouse about every eight to ten days uh, sometimes more if we're busy or forget stuff like that but um yeah, no extra feeding, no anything special. Uh, you know, I just locked them up, and then it was a waiting game. Uh, you know, coming home from work every day just to be like, oh, you know, is she, she laying in anything yet? Um, I probably put a lay box in there two or three weeks after they locked up just to give her something humid to hang out in, uh, which she did every day. 
so of course, every day she's in there, I'm coming home and, you know, checking on everything. Um, I'm very impatient and anxious and, and wanted it to happen. Um, finally came home and there was just a beautiful clutch of 13 perfectly white eggs and, you know, separated those out, started incubating. So. Sweet. That's not bad for a first clutch. And I know like when you have one clutch, it's the worst as far as waiting for things. Cause you're always waiting for whether it's to lay eggs, whether it's to hatch and everything. So how do you end up setting up those uh, 13 eggs? Uh, so I put them in uh, a little bit of vermiculite. I, you know, I soaked the vermiculite, wrung it out. So it wasn't sopping wet. Um, threw those in a six quart shoebox tub and put that actually on the hatchling rack, uh, which is usually kept at about 80 degrees uh, for the heat tape. Um, and I just pretty much left them there for for a while. And it was a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like they were late on the 7th of July. Like I said, I believe today is like day 70 something, um, if I'm not keeping track. And typically, clutches hatch out from usually around 55, or we've seen like 52 to 57. We've obviously had those. We've had it go 90 days or so. But I mean, for your first clutch, you're like, at day 55, you're probably freaking out. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, uh, like I said, we had, um, we had actually ended up losing five of the eggs uh, around day maybe 58 to 60. Um, they started denting. Everything looked perfect. We're like, okay, cool. They're denting. They're ready to go. They're going to pop out any day now. And um, unfortunately, uh, two of them, uh, when I candled them after they had started denting, just looked you know, clear all the way through. Nothing in there, no veins, uh, which sucked. And then the other three were just so dented. They looked like there was no chance that there was anything in there. Uh, candled it, looked you know, really small, half hollow, whatever. Um, so we ended up cutting those three open just to kind of see they were all stillborns. So we said, you know, we'll, we'll just go ahead and wait a little bit, see what happens with these other, uh, with the remaining eggs. Uh, and about, uh, what is it? 13th, uh, they started denting again. Uh, first one, uh, you know, popped out a beautiful little tesser baby. After that, uh, you know, it was two days before anything else pipped. Uh, we were getting a little worried, so I put a, a real small incision in each one just to kind of check, make sure everything was so good. They're all good. They're all about to grow. So. Sweet. Stuff like that is always so interesting to me. Like, I know, obviously, birth is never, you know, one for one. But, like, with some of ours, it was, like, the first one would pip, and then it'd be, like, three days before any others, and freak me out the whole time. Then, then with other ones, it's like, oh, they're all pipping, you know, they're all pipping right now. Like, it's, I don't know if there is any rhyme or reason to it, or how it all works, just all, you know, chance of how fast, quickly they all pit, you know? And you know what's weird? I always feel that when the ones that come out early some of them are like the healthiest of the clutch some of them are the smallest of the clutch some of them eat well right. some of them don't eat well i mean it seems like they come out for different reasons at different, right, different times. times so i mean maybe right. if i actually tracked every baby that came out first and last we would see some type of difference which i started doing that this year and then i was like oh damn this is too way much too much work. work once there was like too three clutches at the same yeah. time because sure. and then you, 
you have to separate the babies before they have their first shed. Right, to see what's what. Yeah, so it's like, so you don't jumble it up. So it's we'll not even the wondering. best. <laughs> yeah. we'll, just, we'll just keep wondering and leave it at that. Yeah, we've actually, so we've got ours numbered um, in little deli cup style tubs. Um, you know, first one out, second one, third one. The first one out looks like he's soaked up every single bit of yolk he could. He's got a huge food belly, looks super healthy. Um, second one's a little bit smaller. So obviously there's definitely a lot of variation in there. Yeah, and I've had, I mean, some of the, the small ones you always think are like going to be bad eaters or something, and then they will end up being your best eaters. So there's no right. It doesn't seem like there's a connection to any of it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm keeping my fingers crossed as far as the eating thing goes. I've heard horror stories of, you know, having a, a first shed and then no food for the next month and a half, and you start getting panicked. You know, do I force feed? Do I assist feed? And you know, all these other questions come up. So I'm just fingers crossed, letting it ride. Hopefully everything works out. So, so how many, you still got some in the eggs, right? Yeah. So there's still, let me see, one, two, there's still four in the eggs. Um, two are actually currently pipping faces out. Uh, and then there's three that are in their own tubs right now. So oh, I wish we still had ones in the eggs. <laughs> oh, yeah, it feels like bad. our season are like, that time was so long ago. I mean, it was. It was like, what, July? But then think about it, it's September, and then we're going to have to put them back down in November or December. So uh, it all comes back around. Situation than it's- yeah, for sure. That was actually something I was thinking about is that obviously we got the late start without brumating and then just throwing them together on a whim. So uh, my thought was that when everybody else's babies are already you know, six, seven months old and they're already sold out, we'll just be having fresh hatchlings to, to take to a show and kind of see if anybody wants a hatchling later in the year. So, Yeah, that's really what the guys who like have much larger collections or have facilities and stuff they're and they'll, do that. they'll run half of their collection <laughs> will brewmate in the summer, half it will brewmate in the winter so that they always have stock year round. Right. It definitely makes sense if you've got a bigger collection in the facility to do it. Um, but we just, we weren't set up for that. So, Is that something you want to do soon? No, just because I can't manage doing all those things at one time. I want to be able to keep it straight <laughs> enough. I mean, I, just put them all at once. We don't have enough snakes really to to make that to make sense. Also, times. we already have a rhythm going on. So what I would have to do is right after a female laid, put them into brumation or take a year off and then put them into brumation in so the they summer. they don't have enough to take a year off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not really I guess that feasible. For the, for the guys that do that, it just seems like so much extra work to pay attention to making sure you brumate properly and take care of hatchlings at the same time. It's like, that's crazy. And heat a room in the winter and cool a room in the summer. You know, like you're always working right. against. against yeah, the electric bill must be insane at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like maybe, yeah, if you can handle that electric bill slash all that time and effort. So do you think that you will be, um, first of all, do you think you'll be breeding two years in a row? And do you think you're going to brewmate next year? Um, so we may do the brumation just to see how that affects uh, this pair. Um, you know, we'll, we'll put them down uh, in a couple of months at that point. Um, we're definitely going to breed again next year. They're both back up to healthy weight already. She's already back up to 340, I think, something like that. 
Um, so that, I mean, they're both super healthy. Um, like I said, we may end up brumating just to kind of see if that affects more or less eggs or whatever the case is. Um, but this pair is definitely getting locked up again uh, in the upcoming season. And then we're looking for uh, a male carpet to pair with the one behind me here, as well as a male white-sided black rat snake to pair with that. So we'll have quite a few pairings going on next year. Um, the ball python doesn't get bred. He's just a normal. He's just the, the house pet for now. So Sweet. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot easier to get everyone on the same schedule. And then I think I think you'll definitely have better health as far as the eggs go you obviously got a good amount of eggs so like the female was primed and ready because honestly we don't get that many eggs even though our females are small i mean we don't even though corn snakes obviously can but um right well it's interesting someone in our chat matthew mccormick said that he's bred corn snakes twice and hasn't um brumated either time and he got 40 eggs that's a lot of eggs in the two that's that that's probably a very large female. I don't know if he's saying twenty. It's like I don't. I, I'm assuming forty eggs over both times. I don't know. You never know. They can drop forty. Um, but isn't that crazy that like you know we talk so much about brooming and all this? He didn't broom it. Well, if you feed all great. year round, but then again, I'm worried about the longevity of animals at that point. To be honest, of not brooming. No, of feeding. First of all, I think that. The corn snakes, they need a break from food for a certain amount of time, whether that is brewmating or whether that is when it gets a little bit cooler in your room for the you winter, slow less. it down to two to three weeks or three weeks instead of two to three. Uh, I think that they need kind of a factory reset in a way, in one way or another. And, for sure. And so it's like if you're just running them hot all the time and feeding them all the time, you may be able to get uh, 40 egg clutches or something. But I don't know how long. No, 40 was over both clutches. Okay. So So that's pretty. So that makes a little bit more sense. It's still a lot, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, for 20, we're not even getting 20 at all. Hopefully this year. Yeah. Once we get everyone more in the rhythm. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like, I'd be too nervous not to. Brumate, but it's interesting that people have success with it. Well, I've also done it not brumating, so I that's what I did last year. Oh, really? Oops, yeah. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, was that I, the year that you guys had the issue with the, the outside closet uh, with the heater going down? Yeah. Well, no, no. That, 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 was, we, this that year. was brumating two, year, two years ago. No, that was this year. This, right. this, okay. this batch of babies who ended up perfectly fine and everything was perfect. And also what I found... Uh, we had things like vitality issues and stuff in just that clutch that we got when we didn't brewmate. So I wonder if there's something to that or I just cycled them better because um, we we had a lot of eggs, but we had a lot of babies with kinks and we had mm-hmm. a lot of babies. But I think that might have also been incubation. So it's hard to tell. Oh, God. That clutch. Yeah, it's always hard to pinpoint what exactly happened in where it happened along the line without Teddy, so yeah, we also moved with those eggs. So not that we didn't. I mean, right. So that's not really the best thing. I mean, we only moved in the city with those eggs, right? And move. then we moved. I didn't realize that the closet was eighty-five when they were always kind of at seventy-eight or so, and then that's probably why we right. had kinks and different things going on. Was the question? Yeah, I actually read that changing the. Uh, 
the temperature of incubation halfway through is actually really detrimental. Um, you know, provides a lot of kinks, a lot of other defects and stuff like that. Uh, we were getting nervous around the, you know, the 60, 65 day mark. And we're like, oh, well, maybe they need to be a little bit warmer. So we'll, we'll bump the heat up a little bit. We did some reading and we're like, you know, let's not do that just yet. We don't want to kill everything off. So it turned out all right. I've seen things to where people say that there's no problem with temperature swings as far as incubation goes. But I think, I mean, maybe if once you're stable, stay stable, don't do both. Because I, I heard that the loves, right. to, you know, they weren't too concerned with keeping the temperature at constant. They would have night drops and stuff like that. But I mean, I always right. played it safe and just said this is going to be 80 degrees flat out as much as possible. But yeah, for sure. I definitely learned um, that next year breeding. I'll probably look into either building or purchasing some type of incubator system. Um, like I said, we just had them in a six-quart shoebox on the hatchling rack, but with the heat tape the way it's set up uh, and the fact that I like my room super cold at night when I sleep, it definitely fluctuates a little bit more. Um, I was going to look at getting you know an old drink cooler or something like that that I can throw them in and, and keep the temperature a little bit more constant the whole time. That's Are the thing. I know. That? Well, I know some old-school colubrid breeders that will – they don't even have an incubator, but they'll have an old fridge or a really good uh, insulated cooler so that right. even even if the temperature isn't controlled inside, it's going to fluctuate less just because of all that insulation. Right. And it's a smaller space, so we're about heating and cooling and everything like that. So, Didn't your dad give us one? Yeah. So yeah, but I'm going to. I always did top shelf just because I keep... The reptile room, I'm kind of crazy about keeping the temperature where it is. So you know that it it's only swung. You can see the high and lows on the thermostat. And my swing is from 78 to 81. And 78 rarely right. happens. And 81 is more regular. But I a three-degree swing is one thing. If it's 76 and then 85, I think that's kind of a different you think there'd be game. that much swing in the little wine coop? I think it would be more. No, it would be more constant for sure. But I don't think it matters that much. I think it matters, but not that much. But if why that makes not any use sense. it if we have it? Well, because we're just gonna have too many clutches to put in that little wine cooler. Oh, so I can use it for wine. Is yes, what you're saying? you can use it for wine. Okay. <laughs> 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 so how are you setting up i mean obviously you have these like amazing enclosures behind you what are you setting up the babies in actually in um, these little black um deli cup style containers here uh it's about you know four or five inches by eight and um fits the babies pretty well and uh you know plenty of room to drill holes for ventilation and whatnot um i was gonna put them in the you know the traditional uh clear plastic deli cups but those are a little harder to source out and i don't want to pay for shipping for you know 100 or 500 of them um, i got these at walmart it was a pack of 15 for you know a couple bucks eight bucks or something like that so they're in there they've got uh, you know a paper towel a water bowl and a uh, like a toilet paper tube for a hide just to give them some kind of security in there Oh, so that's similar to us slash, I mean, everyone else that 
really keeps colubrids in numbers. Because, I mean, I don't know if people realize how small they come out and how easy they would be to lose if you put them in pretty much anything else. Anything else. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, I, I you know, doing um, doing the research throughout this whole process, I was consulting with you know people like you guys and, and some of the other breeders in the industry uh, and reading a lot of forums. And I was reading some, some forums, and there was just horror stories of people that are, Posting up, oh, I, you know, I've got my Hatson corn snake in a twenty-gallon long, and he's not eating. It's like he's freaked out right now. Of course, he's not eating. Um, or you know, you know, cohabbing them together. I've got fifteen hatchlings in a in an XYZ tank, and some of them aren't eating. Some of them are dying. Whatever's going on. So uh, definitely uh, a lot of research throughout this whole process, and, and trying to do things the right way for the betterment of the animals. Yeah, so, I think. That's pretty much the difference between people who are successful at doing this, whether it's breeding or keeping, is that someone like you, who obviously, like, we've talked and you came over and saw our collection and stuff, but it's not like you asked me, how do I keep my corn snake or anything? Like, you found the Googleable shit. Like, you did the, the Google Right. Like, like, you did the self-research in order to know what the hell you're doing, you know? For sure. Yeah, that's always one of my things. Anytime I talk to um, definitely somebody that's obviously been in the game longer than I have, I hate asking questions that I can find out on my own via Google. When I ask people questions, I want to know, you know, personal experiences or things that did or didn't work for you. I don't want to say, well, you know, what temperature do I keep my corn snake at? There's a hundred pages on Google that I can find that on. So I always like to try to pick brains and, and find the personal side of the the hobby for sure. Yeah, and I think you've done a good job at like just branching out to the short time that you've been doing it in comparison to like the amount of people that you know who are like legit as fuck and i'm not putting us in that category but <laughs> <laughs> but you've managed well, to I mean, like you guys have definitely that category for me um you know I, I had looked up to you guys a long time before i was breeding uh for sure i had followed a lot of the podcasts it was you know you guys and uh, back in the day, I was listening to Bullshit and um, NPR for sure. Um, but anybody that's got more snakes than me, I'm looking up to because you're doing something right for the most part. Obviously, I mean, there's not a lot of people that have huge collections that are doing stuff wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't have those huge collections anymore. So. For sure. And I think kind of like what you're saying, there's a way to talk to people who have who you have questions to and not annoy the shit out of them <laughs> that's really like we become friends with dallas simply because he reached out to you and asked questions and like we are willing to do that with anyone but then there's those people who well, just annoy I think the depends. shit out of us and it's like Stop. i just want to be able to say like we want to answer your questions we want to become friends with you like there's just a way to do it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like, know how to explain it, but if you come with There's a way to do it in the, the way that Dallas did it. There's a way to do it that's like, oh, yeah, like I want to talk to this person. So that's what I'm wondering <laughs> what exactly you did that someone who say maybe they're listening to this and they're like all alone in their reptile life. I mean, kind of like how I was. Mostly, I felt so scared to talk to anyone who was, right. you, know, you know, legit or bigger than me because... <laughs> I didn't want to seem like a bother. So how did you kind of go about doing so? Um, I kind of just, usually I just go for things. Um, 
uh, a lot of forums and stuff like that online. I'll kind of, you know, creep on those and read a lot before I start commenting, stuff like that. Um, but I honestly, I just found people that I looked up to and I just reached out and I said, hey, you know, this is a situation, you know, my wife and I have, you know, XYZ animals, we're trying to do this, uh, you know, any extra tips that you can give that I can't find anywhere else. Um, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, you know, talking to you guys, I've reached out to um, Eric at one point, um, Cody and Pia at Terrestrian Arboreal have been very, very helpful for us. Um, so yeah, just reaching out for for any kind of info. You know, if I get shot down, I get shot down. Um, but it is what it is at that point. So I either yeah, situation smarter or I learn that I can't ask that person questions anymore. So. Yeah, and I guess some people are more receptive to it, no matter what. I mean, some people. I mean, even for this podcast, you know how many people we reach out to and big time us in one way or another. That's like, all right, man, (laughs) whether you don't want to be on or whether you think you're, I don't know, you're too busy to be on or something. I don't know. I mean, it happens and there's going to be an amount of people that don't get back to you or don't follow through. Right. I don't know if we'll ever. Yeah, for sure. I definitely appreciate you guys having me on. No, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if we we'll ever get to the point where, like, we don't feel a little nervous to reach out to some people. Maybe. Yeah, like, I've been know. debating reaching out to, like, Tom Crutchfield forever. But then in order to get him to use Google Hangouts, if he says yes, and then order to use Google Hangouts, I'm kind of scared to bring him through the whole thing. <laughs> no. right, like, like, this is actually happening now. Like, uh, what do I do at this point? Yeah, but um, to hear people talk like so, hear you talk about that and and reaching out to Crutchfield is is a little bit nerve wracking for you. Um, one of the people in the industry I know, uh, Anna, you know, she'll talk about him. She's like, oh, you know, I'm going to his house to have lunch, and we're doing this and that. And I was like, well, you know, that's that's really cool because you're hanging out with somebody that I look up to. So now I look up to you by association. You know, it kind of just puts them in a different category at that point. Definitely. Yeah, so be, we're yeah. not we're not in the crutch field. We're not the association yet. even. <laughs> I mean, we're scared like Dan, who it's so frustrating because we were on the edge of like reaching out to Dan for so long and then NPR got it, right? He was on or no, no, no he was on uh, Bills, right? He's no, on someone. Jeff Gold uh, Godbold. Godbold, he's on Godbold. Yeah. It's so that's the hardest part is when I know I'm like, okay, like don't be a wuss, don't be a wuss, and then we we're wusses and we don't reach out to someone and then we see someone else got them like gosh darn it we should have reached out to that person (laughs) they probably would have said yes because they said yes to this other person but now we feel like we definitely can't and now i feel like not bothering them twice in a row right right they were just on someone else's podcast so i feel like we can't it's just oh right like i know it was two weeks ago you want to come on our podcast and say the same shit uh right (laughs) i could i could see how that would uh stir the nerves a little bit yeah. I mean, what I wanted to get into before we went off kind of to left field was I wanted to go to the fact that obviously you don't have a large collection and us and we, you clearly have more grand enclosures than what we have. So yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit of what you keep everything in and what your kind of philosophy on that is. Uh, so behind me um, and actually down on the floor, there's one more as well. These are four by two by two. Um, old school Andrew Kelly green tree python tanks. Um, I got these from Cody and Pia at Terrestrial Burial. 
Um, there was some pretty famous, I, I, I guess you could say famous, um, GTPs kept, uh, Mardu being one of them. Um, as far as the philosophy of keeping the snakes, um, I definitely just want the animals to thrive. Uh, you know, I, I kind of do my own mixture of bedding. Um, but, you know, animals that are arboreal, they get perches, etc. Um, but yeah, I just I try to make sure that the animals are thriving. I'm constantly reading. Amanda's constantly reading. Uh, you know what we can do to to better the enclosures, um, stuff like that. We were thinking about doing uh, some bio setups, uh, but we're not quite there yet. Um, yeah, these these tanks are great. They're sliding glass, um, hold humidity great. Um, heat panels up top, so there's no underbelly heat or anything like that. But they've been great for us so far. So. For sure. And Did you have them? Sorry, I totally cut you off. Did you have them before you moved, or this was all after? Yeah, so we actually got them, um, I want to say about a week or two before we moved from Florida to Alabama. Uh, we had gone over to their place to, I think it was for like a July 4th barbecue or something like that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm probably wrong on that. Uh, I know we went over there for some type of barbecue, Memorial Day or something. Um, ended up picking them up. Um, we had them sitting in storage for a week before we threw them all in the truck and, and brought them up here. Um, but uh, definitely not easy to move with four of these. And we actually have two more in Florida waiting for us uh, to pick the remaining two up. It's a set of six. It's the only six that he ever built. Um, so it's really a, a pleasure and an honor to have these in the collection, housing these animals. Sweet. So... It's weird because we get caught once you get a certain amount of animals, space becomes an issue. And I don't know if it's a trap. I think it's a little bit of a trap, <laughs> like as far as because you can only keep so many, you know, three foot or four foot enclosures, whatever. Like, what are your thoughts on the future as far as the amount of animals you want to have? And then also, are you going to keep this level of keeping? Uh, so as far as the amount of animals we want to have, uh, easiest way I can describe that is the sky's the limit. We're currently looking for uh, a couple of king snakes. We're going to be going to a show um, coming up here in October. Uh, so we're always kind of adding to the collection, stuff like that. As far as um, space goes, obviously, uh, you know, it definitely takes up a lot of space. We don't have uh, a, you know, a designated reptile room in the house. Uh, so all of them are in our room currently. Um, and just to give you a quick look around, I mean, you've got you know, one wall here. This whole wall is those three tanks. There's another one on the floor with a 40 breeder on top. Then you got a hatchling rack on that wall. So that wall's already taken up. And then behind me, there's a 20 gallon long with uh, a couple of turtles in there. So, you know, reptiles on every wall as of right now. Um, as far as the future goes, we will probably start doing a lot more uh, racks and tubs just to be able to save some space. Um, and, and even with the tubs, we will try to you know, let the animals thrive. We'll give them good bedding, no purchase. Um, I'm gonna find a way to do you know, some kind of lighting system on a timer, et cetera. Um, I love the tanks and, the, and the, the way the enclosures look, but definitely a space issue for sure. Yeah, now someone in, uh, I guess you kind of touched on it, so I'll ask it. Someone in the chat was wondering, What's your opinion on UV or UVB? Uh, are those UV lights or do you just like the light cycle? So these actually are UVB and UVA lights. Um, 
I definitely enjoy them. You know, I feel like it definitely helps the animal thrive a little bit more. In the wild, obviously, they get natural sunlight, so you know, vitamin D and all that other stuff. Um, so the lights definitely help. They look great. They don't run too hot. Um, the electricity bills definitely, I mean, it's a little bit higher, but, uh, you know, we've got them on a timer. Lights and heat are both on the timers together. Um, I definitely like having the, the extra, you know, peace of mind for the UVA and B. Um, otherwise, you know, I've heard of people taking their snakes outside for, you know, an hour or two a week just to kind of hang out, make sure they get some natural sunlight. Um, but to me, that's really one of the only ways that they can thrive, uh, whether or not they're, they're living great, but we want them to thrive in captivity. We want to make sure that they have the best life possible. Uh, so trying to mimic and, and replicate natural you know, elements is, is the best thing that we can do for the animals. Taking them outside is something I feel like almost all of our close friends in the reptile world do, but it scares the shit out of me. I just feel like... For sure. I mean, What'd you say? That I see pictures of, you know, they're, they're taking their animals out and taking pictures of them in the trees and putting them on the ground and this and that. Um, obviously, at that point, you've got to worry about any type of, you know, mites, bugs, parasites, etc. You've got to worry about escapees. Uh, to me, it's a lot of a headache. At that point, I'd rather not lose the animal. I would just invest right. in the extra life. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it looks awesome when they do it. Oh, and for sure. Maybe with like our olive or something like that. But like Wait, with our squirrely corn snakes, I, uh, it just, I mean, I think they'd be gone in an instant. Yeah, that's really the last thing I would oh, it to happen all for a picture and some sun well it's not all that there's they need some. so wait what are your thoughts on that because we don't give ours any sort of lighting or sunlight is that bad no i'm i don't know i'm more of the old school train of thought to where obviously people have kept the animals and obviously it is a part of I have my own line, right? So, of course, I use bedding on all the animals. And if I don't have them in a dark room or something like that, I do use hides. Otherwise, I'm kind of old school in the fact that I don't believe that UVB or UVA is necessary, even though I feel like a light cycle makes sense. I mean, that's why I keep open the windows and I don't have any blacked out tubs. And, I mean, I used to keep in the closet, but now I don't have to keep in the closet anymore, which so is awesome. They're not really, though, because the <laughs> thing <know>. is, Dallas, <laughs> no, but the thing is, UV rays are mostly blocked out almost 100% through your windows. And, oh, I mean, that's how our windows oops. are designed. So, obviously, our windows don't pass heat into our house, and we can insulate our house correctly. So, UV rays and sunlight, I mean, although it will be light in the room, it's not really providing the same thing as the bulb does. Do I think that you need that? No. Is it an issue to where... Maybe they have a better life if they do. I don't know. And I don't know if anyone has evidence to say yes or no on that. So that's where I am. That's so you're just kind of, Okay. Okay. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I don't have evidence that it 100%, you know, definitively without a doubt is better. It's just something that we do personally just because we think it may be, um, you know, on the off chance that, you know, it, it could be horrible. These light bulbs could be, you know, cancer emitting snake killing light bulb no idea um yeah i really doubt that but that's just kind of something that we do Um, obviously none of the babies in the hatchling rack 
uh, have light bulbs. They get the filtered sunlight through the window. Um, so they're on the natural light cycle. Um, and then the turtles don't have UVA, UVB. They just have a, a heat lamp day and a heat lamp night. Um, and we'll run them outside for about an hour, two hours a week. Let them sit outside in the filtered sunlight in the shade somewhere just so they can get that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's 100% necessary. It's just something that we do to kind of try to go the extra mile, if you will. Now, some people say that it may enhance their color or something. But, I mean, let's be honest, anything under a daylight bulb, anything under that kind of light looks better. So it's kind of hard to tell. But do you think that there's any enhancing properties to the light as far as coloration on the animals? That's a that's a tough one, like you said. I mean, I could put them under, you know, a 2000K halogen bulb, and they're probably going to look the same as if I put them under, you know, a really nice... 5500 6000k you know reptile specific bulb or something like that they look great under light regardless um obviously um, you know when the lights go out or if it's a little bit dimmer they look duller and it's just what that is um i don't know if certain light bulbs have an effect on how they look or not i don't know enough about that to, to determine that mm -hmm. now you said that you kind of mentioned bioactive. So have you thought about it and where do you think you're going with that? And uh, yeah, basically what are your, what are your thoughts on switching over to something bioactive? So we've, we've definitely thought about it. Um, again, I'm going to mention uh, Cody and Pia over there at DNA. They have a lot of bio setups for some of their uh, exotic pit viper species um, they look great. They perform well. You know, you get the, the right amount of isopods and, and, you know, little bugs in there. Um, definitely a lot less cleaning, stuff like that. Uh, but to me, it could be a little bit more maintenance. You got to make sure that you don't have mold issues. You got to make sure that your, your isopod colonies are doing good. Um, and currently we just don't have the time to invest in, in swapping everything out right now, making sure that it's all good, buying isopods, everything like that. Um, the bedding we use is, you know, like I said, it's, it's a mixture that I do at home. It's usually, you know, equal parts, um, aspen, peat moss, uh, reptive bark. Um, you know, I might throw in a handful or two of activated charcoal or whatever the case is. Um, and it, it basically, it looks good. It performs well. Uh, we spot clean about every other day or so. Um, but we don't have to do a full bedding change, uh, any more than about every five to six months. Um, it works great, super absorbent, looks good. And we'll throw, um, you know, some pine needles on top just for looks and give it a naturalistic look as well. Um, we've done leaf litter, uh, but with that, you've got to worry about bugs. Um, so you can freeze it first or whatever the case is. So, um, but as far as the bio setups, I mean, we would love to have that uh, just for the naturalistic look and then the health of the enclosure and the animal as a whole, but it's just not anytime soon for sure. Yeah. So you're not, so basically you have the setup all apart from say isopods and springtails. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything except for, um, for a while we were running, um, like some organic dirt, some like, you know, topsoil, stuff like that. Uh, we were finding that it was just making too much of a mess. Um, too expensive to buy and uh, unfortunately we were keeping it in the garage in like a big sterilite tub and it got too humid i think it it kind of grew its own colony of, of critters and bacteria uh, so we had to stop using that 
Um, but yeah, essentially, aside from the dirt and the, uh, the the isopod cultures and stuff like that, everything else is pretty much naturalistic as as it can be. So, for sure. And that's something that I don't know. I've been getting more into. I don't know if people saw the Amazon enclosure, but I'm kind of. I've been just watching videos on fucking plants and all this shit. I have some golden pothos stemmings or whatever growing in the in the reptile room. And, yeah, I know, but but I mean at the yep. same time. Go ahead. No, no, go, go. Okay, well, I was I was gonna say we tried pothos um, in all three of the enclosures behind me here. Um, unfortunately, they did not do well with the light cycle that we had the snakes on. Uh, it was just getting too much light. They're they're a better you know house plant, quote unquote, up on top of the um, the cabinets or something like that with a little bit less light. And the snakes were crushing them, so we just took the pothos out. Um, I've heard bromeliads are great. They're you know pretty tough, hardy plants to to throw in there if you're looking for some extra foliage. Um, personally, I you know if I'm going to do it again, I would go with some fake plants. Don't have to water them; they're not going to die. Throw them in there. It looks great. Low maintenance. So yeah, that's why I went with meaning I wasn't if I made a corn snake enclosure with all that stuff, it would be destroyed in a day. I think that's also what people need to know. I mean, I did it with the Amazon because it's so light. And so, nothingness. Right. It's always <laughs> yeah, like it's not going to really uh, affect much. But your your more terrestrial things, especially a a big uh, Moralia or something like that. I mean, because they like to they like to move around, and that's going to be an issue at some point. I think with potted plants, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. I don't know though. I mean, our our carpet. Um, I'm fairly certain she's. <laughs> I don't know if she's pure or what. She's always in the branches way more than she's on the ground. I don't know if that's typical. It's our first carpet. Um, so I'm still picking the brains of other Morelia guys and stuff like that. Yeah, you can um, see she's in just hunting position. She's been in the whole time. Oh, yeah. She's yeah, she's ready. We actually just fed her two or three days ago, but she eats like a powerhouse. She's a champ. Um, she's been great for us so far. We actually rescued her from a kid who uh, bought her at a Repticon. Uh, told us she was male and then he's like you know i'm moving in with my mom she's terrified of snakes i can't keep her um so we ended up taking him from her and probed her we've probed her three times she's probed female every time i know that sometimes they can kind of tighten up and stuff like that so I'd like we're, to sell we're thinking, her. um but yeah she's been great she's only tagged us i think once or twice she um, looks like she would right now if you like <laughs> her I mean, it was my fault the time she got me. I, I had, you know, it was feeding day. I didn't warm the rat up enough. So she smelled the rat, saw the heat from my hand, and that was it. It was game over for my fingers at that point. So, Yeah, that happens, especially with the, the jungles. And, you know, once you get into that territory, I mean, they like to eat. And they like to eat things that are warm. And they make for that sure. decision very quickly. And they may not, you know. Oh, with, without it. I mean, by the time I opened the glass, it was... I, you know, I had like 20 holes and, and two fingers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, the time that she tagged Amanda, um, I think Amanda had just reached in for a second to grab the thermometer, the, the temperature probe or something like that, and just within a second got it. So um, You got to learn sometime. I mean, you know, you be sticking hands up in anywhere. 
Oh yeah, no. So from now on, she gets hooked. Anytime we open the glass, we'll we'll you know hook train her, touch her with the hook. Um, sometimes she'll ride it and want to come out on the hook, but other times, at least she knows that it's the hook. It's not food, um, and she'll come out no problem after that. But that is the worst thing about the jungles is that you will try to just get, grab the water bowl and you'll put the hook and you'll move their head over, and then they'll start riding up the hook, and then you're like, "Fuck!" Well, now my hand's closer than before <laughs> to the thing's head. Oh, for sure. And she's, I mean, I think she's probably the most active and alert snake that we have. Um, you, know, you walk by and she sees a reflection, she moves. She's just very attentive to what's going on. Um, but yeah, she, she's awesome so far. And she is like a very attractive jungle for an animal that someone picked up at a reptile show, quote, and it's like swished hands. You think you're going to get like some nasty mutt jungle right but i mean it's pretty good i mean there's obviously no saying that it's pure but it's very good looking. Oh, gorgeous very very velvety black super bright yellows it's hard to see because of the uh the lighting in the enclosure now um, i'm not trying to have her strike the glass or anything but just so you can kind of see some of the colors on there and the head pattern super super great um we we definitely lucked out. We we ended up getting it for free from this kid uh, with the enclosure, what? a couple of fish, water bowl, everything like that. So because he just um, when he said he had to get rid of her, and he's like, "Look, I, I don't want a price. I just wanted to go to a good home." I was like, "If you give this snake to anybody else, I will. I'll, I'll find you and I'll hurt you. Like, I want this." <laughs> um, so we ended up we ended up driving um, almost three and a half hours to meet this kid to get this snake for free. Um, super worth it though. Uh, so she'll be a future breeder for us hopefully this upcoming season for sure and the fact that it's one of because it seems like a kind of shot in the dark whether they decide to be arboreal or not and the fact that you have one in a large enclosure that is going to actually display yeah. on that branch like it is now like if people can't obviously people on the download can't see but it is just laid across the branch like perfectly and just head in an S like looking at the ground, waiting for something to come by and like perfect hunting yeah. position. Yeah. It's super awesome. Every once in a while we'll come in the room and she'll be uh caudal luring with her tail, which is super, super cool to see. Uh, you got a carpondro, it. dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think you may have to consider that because I don't, I don't know if I've heard that happening with uh carpet pythons. I may be stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, she doesn't do it as much as the, um, you know, the GTPs or the Carpondras that I've seen. It's just a little bit of a wiggle, but it's enough to, to definitely something that I would consider luring. Um, yeah, she's, she's cool. That's awesome. So wait, Brandon just said caudal luring. Is that what you're So caudal luring is when they pretty much wiggle their tail, kind of like a worm, and try to get a bird to come down. Okay. And it's basically their form of hunting. And, and it's mostly done. Trees, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mostly done by green tree pythons. I'm sure it happens in other Morelli and stuff like that. But yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I think um, young copperheads do it as well with their little yellow tail. They lure a little bit. Absolutely. So, it's pretty cool to see. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of one of those things that. I don't know if you get a video of it caught alluring, even the green tree guys, when you catch it, like at the right time of night, you'll get, and everyone's like, Oh my God, that's the coolest thing. Even if you have like a hundred green tree, cause I've probably seen mine do it like once or twice, you know, it's right. gotta be, you don't disturb it. 
and it thinks that no one's, you know, like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of like, you know, you catch it in the act of doing something really cool. But yeah, I mean, she, she'll do stuff like that. So she'll do stuff that's really cool where she'll lure and she, she's always in the hunting position. She's also kind of a retarder where she'll strike at the glass for no reason. So, I mean, she, she, both sides of the spectrum. I don't know if it's that she sees her reflection or whatever it is, but you know, every once in a while I'll walk into the room and you just hear, bam, and she's, she's hitting the glass. So uh, both, both sides there for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of the fun with animals like that. And No, that's not fun. <laughs> no, but I no think one wants it to strike at the glass. What are you talking well, about? Well, I had this conversation today with someone is where she was very scared of being bit, but it's like you don't have snakes then. Snakes are not something that you can have if you are afraid of being bit. Not I mean, I don't not like part being of the bit. Fun. No, no, but it's part of its natural instincts. I mean, like him hunting, him seeing Dallas's shadow and striking at the glass. That's just part of their okay, instinctual. That's totally two different words, babe. Saying part of their natural instincts and part of the fun, very different things. Fun for us if we're watching. <laughs> that's not- I, I kind of agree. I think it's part of the fun. It's just like, it's the adrenaline rush of skydiving. It's part of the fun. If you know, What happens if you have to use your secondary shoot? If you're racing, what happens if your tire blows or whatever the case is? Now, it's part of the fun knowing that anytime I reach in, she could tag me. <laughs> so it, it kind of makes me more attentive and more aware of her behaviors and, and her mannerisms uh, and, and learning that animal. So. Yeah, you have to be more attuned to what the snake's doing or else there's consequences to it. I mean, that's why, honestly, I mean, that's probably why we don't breed rabbits and we breed snakes or keep snakes, what? you know, like, <laughs> I mean, there's just, it's a wild animal still, no matter what you do, it's not going to be, you know. I'm totally okay with having an animal that I know 100% is never going to bite me. I'd still have fun with it. All right. Well, that's that's actually something I tell my daughter as well, because um, my my girls are six and nine. And they always ask um, whenever we go out hiking and herping and stuff like that. Uh, we'll find a lot of gray rat snakes around here, a lot of garters, black racers, stuff like that. Um, and they'll try to have me pick them up, like I do our personal collection. Um, and they say, "Oh, you know, will they bite? You know, even the ones in our collection will bite. Everything's a wild animal, technically, even though it's captive. Um, so everything has that instinct to bite." You just got to know the the mannerisms and, and what to expect and kind of learn the different behaviors of it. So. so you take your kids herping. How is that? That's a lot of fun. Um, they've been getting into it a lot more lately. They were a little skeptical at first, um, but then the first time we went out with them, we found uh, like a four or five foot gray rat snake um, who was super, super docile for being a wild snake. Let us hook and tail her. Uh, you know, picked her up, no biting, no striking, got some pictures. Uh, since then, I mean, they've helped me find ringnecks, um, a couple of garters. They love finding frogs, lizards, stuff like that. Um, they were super excited uh, about, I want to say three or four weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Um, I hatched out a clutch of nine uh, common five-line skinks, little blue-tail skinks. So they love that. That was super, super cool. Um, I ended up releasing those out as a, a release effort. Um, so, yeah, they definitely love going out with us and, and trying to look for anything we can find. So they have no fear of anything. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that's nature or nurture? 
Um, I definitely think it's the nurturing side of it. Um, I saw somebody had a, a show or a podcast or something that said, you're only born with two fears. Um, I don't remember what those two were, but you're not born afraid of snakes. It's, it's something that you're taught. You know, maybe your grandfather was afraid of snakes and he got chased by a cotton mouth. He passed that on to your dad or whatever the case is, or you know, maybe you saw a cartoon where there was a snake that was bad, stuff like that. And uh, I don't think anybody's born being afraid of snakes. It's definitely something that's taught. So we try to teach them that snakes aren't bad at all. They're not aggressive. They're not going to chase you for sure. Um, it's definitely something to respect any snakes that you find. You can get bit. Um, but first and foremost, I mean, we believe in teaching the venomous species in your area first, being able to properly and accurately identify those. And then just about anything else isn't going to kill you. So uh, we kind of just go from there. Um, they actually just helped us about two weeks ago dissect uh, an eastern diamondback rattlesnake that we found DOR. Um, so we got to dissect that, you know, check out all the, the, the cool stuff inside, kept the fangs. Um, I ended up tanning the hide, uh, doing some taxidermy, we got all the bones from it. So they were super stoked about that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, we saw that. What's the process like? Um, whether it is, I mean, obviously there's multiple things that you did there, but obviously separating the meat from the bones and just processing the whole animal like you guys did. Uh, so as far as the process, it was super easy. Um, as far as getting the hide, it was just a matter of uh, we cut the snake up the middle. Um, before we did that, let me start back over. We we double checked. Um, it actually you know, still had fangs. The head was the only part that was hit uh, when Amanda found it DOR. Um, so you know, I, I told the girls stay away from the head. There's still fangs. There's still venom in there. Um, as soon as she found him on the road, she brought him home. We threw him in the freezer, so he was still preserved for the most part. Um, but uh, you know, we basically milked him, got all the venom that we could out of the glands. And then I pulled the the fangs out, so it was you know rendered safe for the most part. Um, from there, you know, cut the the snake up the middle. Did you do uh, this in your kitchen? We, we definitely did on the dining room table. We laid plastic. Uh, we all wore gloves. Everything was super sanitary and, and sterile and safe. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, we just cut the snake down the middle. Uh, you know, peeled the skin off. At that point, we were left with the muscles and and bone skeletal structure um i uh as far as the skin for tanning you scrape all the flesh off um and then it's super super simple you get a mixture of 50 percent pure glycerin which you could find at like cvs walgreens uh, you know whatever grocery store you've got and 50 percent um isopropyl alcohol at least 91 percent uh you mix those two in a jar you roll the skin up real loose and stick it in there for about three days. Uh, shake it gently once a day. At the end of that three or four days, you kind of you pull it out, pat it dry. Um, you can scrape off any extra flesh at that point and then hang dry it for 24 hours and it's good to go. Uh, we actually have, let me see if I have it in the room over here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, within a matter of three I don't know if you can see it because of the lighting there, but it's super, super beautiful. Um, Eastern Diamondback, uh, you know, we didn't have to. Uh, it wasn't killed you know, unethically or anything like that. So that process was really separating the bones uh, from the muscles. It's a process called maceration. 
Uh, you basically put the remnants or the carcass in a bucket of water that's sealed, bucket of water uh, at a constant like 95 degrees for anywhere between a week, and depending on the stuff like deer and, and stuff like that would take longer. Um, keep it in there. Got to definitely have a, a respirator when you go to open that bucket. It's rough. And uh, once you do that, let it soak for a while, you pour everything out. Uh, the natural bacteria eats away all the muscles. You're left with the bones. Um, so you kind of wash them up, put them in a jar with uh, a little bit of Dawn dish soap. Let them soak in that for a day. Um, take them out of that, rinse them off, and then let them soak in some hydrogen peroxide for a couple hours. It whitens them right up, and then you're left with the, the world's hardest puzzle. So. Who knew it was such a fucking process? Oh, no, it's super easy. The whole thing between when we made the first incision on the rattlesnake to having a jar full of bones and a hide uh, was a week. Um, that sounds like a long-ass time. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely long because we were, we were being impatient. Um, but uh, it's super, super cool. Since then, we've definitely we've gotten a little bit more into uh, like the taxidermy and the oddities Kind of side of things so anytime we see roadkill we're like oh man i wonder if we could salvage that get the bones and, and turn it into something beautiful again um, so it's definitely interesting to be driving down the road you know squirrel and, and raccoon and this and that um, i actually have half a raccoon skeleton in a bucket right now uh, and a deer jaw out there as well uh, getting the rest of the uh the flesh off so most other alabamans would just think dinner yeah <laughs> really Alabamans? Is that what they're called? That yeah. sounds very I'm honestly weird. not sure. I haven't learned that one yet. Alabamans. That sounds <laughs> off. <laughs> but, <laughs> Are you sure it's not Alabamian? Alabamians? I don't know. Never Albanians. Albanians. <laughs> Albanians. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about that one. I don't, I don't really know. All right. I lived in Alabama for two years. I was oh, in Alabama. So long. So long. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a lot better and slower than Florida, for sure. A lot less traffic. That's probably for sure, yeah. Now, what do you do or what are your plans with the bones? Um, so at this point, we have uh, a set of fangs. We actually, uh, I was really surprised I didn't know it was possible, but we have about six fangs um, from one snake, which kind of blew my mind. I thought they only had maybe two or three at a time. Um when we were doing the dissection, she had two on one side, one on the other. So we got those three, and then there was actually three more uh, when we macerated. Um, and then when I finally cleaned up everything, dried it all off, and laid everything out, it ended up being, uh, I stopped counting at about 187 bones. Uh, and there was still a whole other page worth. Um, at this point, Amanda's going to try to articulate the skeleton. She's got some craft wire and some glue and stuff like that. So we're going to try to put it back together. Um, which is fucking daunting. <laughs> that's like a, that's like a ten thousand piece puzzle. Oh yeah, it's it's and the 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 crazy thing is, uh, you got to think that the vertebrae goes from you know small to big to small again. So you can't just start at the biggest vertebrae and go down. You wouldn't have a proper skeleton. Uh, a lot of the skull was damaged because that was the part that was run over. So we don't have a lot of the actual skull pieces, but we have a full. Uh, constructed jaw so we've got the upper and lower with teeth and the fang 
Um, and then, like I said, there's like 200 ribs and vertebrae and sort. If we don't get it back together, she might turn it into some jewelry or something like that. Some some kind of, uh, you know, oddities, bone jewelry or art, something like that. Um, and then I'm going to be taking a couple pieces of the bones with me. Uh, this Thursday, I'm going to the kids' school to do an educational show uh, for their STEM program. So I'm going to teach the kids about snakes and, and show them this is how small snake bones are and stuff like that. So. That's awesome. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, there's so much herptofauna in, obviously, when you guys were in Florida, that's obvious. But also, oh, yeah. I mean, you're in southern Alabama, correct? Yeah. So we're about, um, i say, you know, 45 minutes north of the, the Florida border in the panhandle uh, up here in Ozark, Alabama. Um, as far as the herptofauna, it's been great so far. We, you know, we can just about find a rat snake or a ring neck. Almost any time we go out, regardless if it's 70 degrees or 90. Um, I haven't personally seen any, but I've heard of a couple people in my area finding a lot of copperheads, a lot of cotton mouths, quite a few timbers. Um, so there's definitely a lot of stuff around, uh, a lot of geckos, stuff like that. So it's definitely pretty cool. And how do you usually find these animals? Is it road cruising or are you going to designated spots, flipping boards or anything like that? Surprisingly, I've had zero luck ever road cruising. Um, the only three snakes I've ever found road cruising was a, a, a DOR Eastern Coach Whip, a DOR uh, Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake, and a DOR Corn. I'm good at finding the dead ones on the road somehow. Um, but honestly, we've got a couple parts too. And we'll walk the trail and find pretty walking through logs, um, you know, a couple of boards and, and pieces of trash that are out there. We'll flip over, um, have a lot of luck that way. Um, and then we live uh, probably about 10 minutes away from the base. So every once in a while, I'll go to the park over there, walk over there, and, and find some pretty cool uh, eastern box turtles uh, painted, sliders. <laughs> No, there's definitely a lot of snakes in that area. Now, that's kind of Southern Alabama is kind of where you get that weird overlap where there not be there may not be as many uh, corn snakes or anything like that. But have you had luck? I know you said you it would. Did you say you found one dead on the road as far as corn snakes go? Yeah, so I found one uh, dead on the road. Beautiful, normal, super, super. You know, great oranges, really nice black borders. Um, maybe only 14 inches long, super small. I haven't seen a corn snake since then. Um, mostly it's rat snakes and black racers where we are. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not saying they're not out there. I just haven't been able to find them yet. Um, it's also been, you know, averaging 98 degrees, feeling like 104. So they're probably all in the ground at this point. Um, so. What is the yeah. reptile scene like as far as hobbyists or shows in Alabama? Um, not much where we are. Uh, there's one other guy that I know that lives local um, that we had come house sit for us when we went to Texas to kind of keep an eye on the snakes and stuff like that. He's got a collection of about 200. Um, I think the next closest person that we know uh, that has any kind of notable collection is in florida <clears throat> about an hour south of us runs a pet shop named sweeney's pets uh super great prices on all of his stuff and he has a pretty 
pretty awesome collection as well. Um, and then as far as shows, I think the closest for Repticon is about an hour and a half away uh, up in Columbus, Georgia. Um, and then, of course, Birmingham and Huntsville both have some shows as well every once in a while uh, or Pensacola, but those are all two plus hours away. Um, so that was something that Amanda and I were looking into is, is we're going to try to start orchestrating and, and putting together a show local uh, here in the, the southern Alabama side of things. Um, is Dothan so- a pretty good pretty big city ish yeah dothan is um (laughs) it's all good um it's relatively large i'm not sure of the population or anything but to get from one side of dothan to the other it probably takes us 35 40 minutes so significant Um, it's not as big as as dallas or houston or or probably philly or anything like that for sure but um it's it's a respectable size it's got Quite a few uh, decent parks. Um, there's a really, really beautiful, large botanical garden uh, in the area. Uh, so it's, it's it's definitely a nice area. It's uh, nice so and quiet. Is that where you'd be looking to possibly start a show, or? Oh uh, yeah, most likely it would be Dothan. We, we we live about 35 minutes north of Dothan in a small town called Ozark. It's like one or two stoplights in the area. Um, Dothan's the, the next, you know, biggest city. Either Dothan or Enterprise would be another close, uh, large city. Then um, we're still in the, the very, very early stages of planning that. Um, just something to to kind of rent a space, have people rent a table, stuff like that. Um, but we have no idea where to start and how to forward with that. So I'll be reaching out to some people and, and picking their brains as well. So. Yeah, that's such a... I mean, there there are even though there are so many reptile shows out there now, there's still so many gaps, and there's so many gaps for good reptile shows because there's a plethora of mediocre ones or bad ones. Yeah. Or, I mean, for right. someone who's willing to do the right thing and find the right people, and like it may be the point to where you need to reach out to people to buy tables instead of like you need to sell people to buy tables instead of a bunch of people coming to you and do some right. quality control and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. there's that's something that I wish if I had like $20,000 sitting around to invest in, you know, a reptile show in the Northeast or something I would completely right. do. Well, that's something I was joking about too, is, is every single reptile show you go to um, in the last two or three years, is just absolutely without a doubt overrun by ball pythons. Every single table you find has 20 or 30 ball pythons. Uh, so I was joking around that when we start a show, I'm going to allow one ball python bender. Uh, everybody else has to bring something different. I'm sorry. That's just how it's got to be. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen, I mean, it seems like the hobby is just because of things like demand and stuff like that. And it seems like it's going towards a more plentiful as far as uh, even when I first started paying attention to the hobby as a whole, maybe like five years ago or so. I mean, it. Yeah it's really changed in comparison as far as how many people keep different things now. Oh, a hundred percent. We got into it about three years ago. It was definitely, like I said, overrun by ball pythons. Um, at least I know from our personal experience within the last, uh, four to six months, we've been seeing a lot more colubrid groups popping up on Facebook, uh, classifieds and, and all sorts of stuff like that. I've been seeing a lot of people working with more exotic colubrids, um, you know, bamboo rat snakes and mandarins, um, you know, cape dwelling rat snakes, all sorts of cool stuff like that. 
Uh, so I'm definitely seeing some more of the colubrid side expanding um, for sure. And then uh, definitely some more turtles in the, in the game now and then uh, more exotic species of lizard. So it's definitely cool to see something that's not super cliche and, and you know, another fall python. I hate to throw out that reference, but that's just what it's uh, what it's been in my experience, at least, and, and ours. Yeah. And I, it used to be a thing like, oh, all it was was ball pythons, leopard geckos, and crest, crested geckos. But for sure. I, I barely even see leopard geckos and crested geckos. It seems like like for a second there, it was all ball pythons. So I'm right. glad. I mean, I like ball pythons are cool. They obviously have their place. But it's nice to see a variety of animals. And obviously, I don't know what it is about the hobby now that's making people switch. But, I mean, there's definitely demand going other places whether it's like there's no more money like high dollar animals or whatever but i don't want right. to shit about well, the python market or anything well it's like i said I mean, you show up to a show and you've got your choice of buying you know 20 or 30 different banana ball pythons or a hundred different inchy ball pythons it's just a matter of which vendor you want to go through at that point um whereas when we went to texas and we saw this trio of slowinskii uh, we immediately jumped on it. We're like, it's different. It's something that's pretty rare in captivity. Um, they only happen between you know, far east Texas and, and far west Louisiana, a little bit of Arkansas. Um, and as far as we know, there's maybe one or two other people that have them in captivity right now. Um, so we're definitely looking forward to working with them and then getting them to breed in a couple of years. I know Joe's so, really excited for you to be working with them. <laughs> so obviously, if anyone listens to the podcast, that's pretty much a species of snake that has been on my radar. But for whatever reason, I think it's just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I haven't got one. I should have by now. Have you seen any difference? I mean, they're so similar to a corn snake. Is there really any difference between a little bit of look as far as the behavior of them? Um, as far as the behavior, um, nothing that I, that either myself or Amanda have noticed. Um, the the two males that we have are a little bit picky um, as far as eating. <clears throat> For the first um, couple of weeks that we had them, they both had to be deli cups, put in a cup, put the pinky in, make it dark, basically give them room service and walk away. Um, I finally got them trained a little bit. I've been tease feeding them. Uh, you know, kind of working with them a little bit. So they're, they're finally striking at pinkies right now. Uh, the female, on the other hand, is a ferocious eater. She just destroys anything, you know, pinkies that you put into there. Um, but as far as other behavior, I mean, they, they hang out, they explore, they're, they're all inquisitive. Uh, and then the looks, she, the female we have is a visual silver leaf. Uh, and then we have a black statue, which is, I guess, an Aniri B, which is basically an Xanthic, but I know corn snakes and rat snakes don't have the Xanthic gene, I believe. Um, so he looks super, super cool. And then we've got the other male who's a visual, uh, who's a normal Kastachi, hat for silver leaf and black, the, the black Kastachi. Little trio um, when we pair them up in a few years. Now, do you have any like locality information on those? I know the morphs usually don't hold as much uh, locality information as far as uh, whether it's Texas or Louisiana or anything like that. I actually think the the guy that we got them from at the show said that the gentleman he purchased them from got them from Arkansas. So I believe it's one of the only uh, pairs or trios from the Arkansas locality. 
Um, like I said, it's just very, very South Arkansas. Um, that's what we were told. We don't have any paperwork regarding that. Uh, we reached out to um, not the guy that we got them from, but the gentleman he got them from. He bought them thinking he was going to do something with them and ended up going a different route with his uh, So we got this trio at a hell of a steal. Um, and we ended up reaching out to the original owner saying, hey, you know, we just purchased these. We want to a little bit more info. Uh, they got, they got from said that you found them in Arkansas. Just watch face that. If we can continue that project. Oh, no, you're breaking. Uh, we haven't heard back from him. Definitely, it's more okay. I bad. Not a lot of service to the house. So now you're good. We just hit a weird patch there. But if people don't know, the Slowinski Eye are like the border of Texas and Louisiana, and there's like a random patch in Arkansas. And it is, I mean, it was once thought to be Emory to Corn Snake, which seems like where those obviously cross over, right? That's well, where they integrate technically as well as Arkansas. But genetically, I believe it's been proven through DNA that they are on the full species level. Yeah, so it's a full species of its own, I uh, believe, that had integrated from a Great Plains rat and a corn snake. Um, but then they recently got their own full species level. They were found by a guy named Joseph Slowinski, who unfortunately passed away uh, many years ago. I guess he had misidentified a crate, took a bite from that. Um, He's got an interesting story if you ever get a chance to read about his oh, his words Joe and his life. Story. It's so messed up. It's so depressing. He tells it yeah. all the time, and it's so like it's so sad. He got bit on September. I would have sued so. if I were his family. I would have sued his, his assistant. Well, yeah. he was okay. So the guy in so Myanmar slash Burma, whatever you like to call his it, his assistant, his assistant who was, was a native, thought it was a lido what is it wow. syntica something but it was a many banded crate, crate. And, and so Solinsky was like oh it's this non-venomous non-terrible however your word you just said no turns out it's a crate and it was 9-11 so obviously every embassy's you know services and the United States was completely was shut down directed towards directed. the United States and so no one's yeah. gonna help this little single man who who was also snake. allergic to any venom also yeah, like, because he had yes. been bitten by a veritas or a prairie rattlesnake when he was a young kid and he got any venom which by the way would probably be a pretty different anti venom because it's two different kind of venoms but right refuse any venom because it was just all he was alert. Up. He had alert. Yeah. He's like, I'll just write it out. I'll I'll take my chances. It was all. And nice. he just made a journal of him dying. And that's yeah, it's, it's it's rough. I was reading about it the other day. Um, just doing a little bit more research about them to try to see uh, again to to help them thrive. And and reading his story was eye opening. It was crazy. Uh, James Lewis isn't gonna let y'all get away with calling him Solinskis. No, they're Slowinskis because that's if correct. 
And he's saying, even when you say Kasachi, you're pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, no, that's why I, I won't even touch you it You don't anymore. even want to say Kasachi. <laughs> you even Kisachi. say Kasachi. It's Kasachi. It's a Kisachi. national forest on the border of Texas and Louisiana. So that's where it comes from, because I think someone once collected them there, so they're like, this is what we call them. But the thing is, the scientific name, why don't we just go with Slowinski's corn snake? Also, the guy died so terribly. <laughs> Let's give him some credit. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, the dude blew the blood out of his eyes for this shit. All right. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to comment on your uh, your project Black Python shirt. Have you had a chance to check out his new book yet? No, I've heard it's only available. He released it in like Denmark for the first time because I saw Casper had a copy of it, but Ari's not releasing the uh, Bones Python book until I guess the next month until it comes overseas somehow. I don't know how. Well, I don't know how America. Denmark got it how first. How did they get it first? I don't know. We'd have to. Ask. Yeah, he's working with uh, with Russ. Um, I guess they said the shipment will be over here by the end of the month, um, and he'll sign the copy for you and everything, which is super super cool. I was thinking about picking up a, a copy of that. That'll definitely be an interesting read. We were chatting with him at the IHS in Texas, and you know, just hearing some of the stories of him being, you know, through the through the woods with these people who are, you know, four two and, and super super tiny is just really really cool. So should be a, a really because we didn't talk about that at all. Obviously, I don't know how you got to IHS, but somehow you ended up in Dallas, and we hung out and herped for a second there. We went to like a random dinner. Then we went over to Tony's house and all that stuff. So tell us a little bit of your journey <laughs> from Alabama to Texas to IHS. So the drive, uh, definitely boring, long, flat, straight. Um, that sucked. Uh, I had actually worked the night before. I worked third shift. So I got out at like 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, came straight home. We packed up the car. She drove first, and we just hit the road. Um, we had a sleeping bag in the back of the truck and ended up just sleep driving in shifts. Um, really, we came to Dallas to hang out with you. Uh, Melissa was obviously busy. Um, and one of Amanda's friends. You must have been babysitting for... That's the only thing I remember doing is babysitting. Um, that's well, why we got the baby. Yeah, some, some kind of teacher vacation or something like that. Oh, babysitting vacation. I was at the beach, but I was babysitting at the beach. But what about the other teacher vacation you took? Oh, that was the beach. I don't it know. It was one okay. of the beach okay. times. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, uh, yeah, so we came over there kind of just to meet up with you and, and kind of finally hang out because uh, we had talked online for a little while. Um, super cool area. Definitely enjoyed herping. Um, that pet shop that we went to was, was pretty cool. Um. And then we went down to Houston to go to the IHS, uh, which turned out pretty awesome. Uh, super cool crowd, lots of cool people that we met. The auction was a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to do any herping in Houston like we had wanted to, uh, but we ended up with the Solinsky I trio. And uh, yeah, how the hell do you go to IHS and end up with that? Because uh, the IHS had the, um, I guess it was some kind of, I don't remember the name of it, but some reptile expo, uh, the last day of IHS plus an extra day. Um, so we ended up getting into the expo because of purchasing the tickets to IHS. And again, you know, a ton of ball pythons. Um, there was a few different things. You know, some people had uh, like some hedgehogs and stuff like that. Um, and just walking around, we saw these these three Swinsky guys sitting in the tank. And uh, the guy had a price stick on for like 200 bucks or something like that. 
so we looked at him and we're like, you know, we've never heard of him before, never seen this species, have no idea what it is. Uh, so we walked around, kind of Googled it on our phones, um, and I saw that, uh, I want to say it was Don Soderbergh's website, um, South Mountain Reptiles, it might have been somebody else, but somebody was selling uh, a female Sawinski for like 700 bucks or something like that. So we're like, well, if we can get the trio for two, regardless of what they are, we'll take them, we'll do something with them. Uh, so we ended up grabbing those. We cut the show a little bit short since we had bought live animals. Uh, took them back to the hotel, grabbed a nap, and hit the road home. Uh, and again, you know, a long, boring, straight drive home. Um, but uh, it, was, it was definitely a fun experience. It's the first time I had ever been to Texas or further uh, you know, west than the Panhandle. Uh, so that was pretty fun. So you basically stole Slowinski Eye. You know that, right? Well, I mean, we, we um, but yeah, I mean, we got a, we got a hell of a deal. $200 sure. is free for an animal that should be at least, if there's no morphs involved, at least 350 each or so. Oh, there, no, there's definitely morphs. Let me see if I can get this guy out. I'll show you the black Kastachi here. Um, he's super, super beautiful. Kastachi. Um, sorry. Kastachi. If he'll come out here. Um, but he is let's see there super super black and gray no but that's um, what I'm saying just the natural animal should be $250 or $300 and you got Morse for $300 yeah yeah. so we got the, the black uh, we've got a normal het for black and then we've got the female visual um who's super super gorgeous she's just got some really silver tones to her um very iridescent um as we saw that price and we did a little bit of research immediately jumped on it um and that was that so we're looking forward to currently the males are on two pinks each right now uh, hopefully we'll move up to fuzzy soon and And little did I know, that was my dream. And then it was crushed. <laughs> I'll have babies in about three years for you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, how was IHS as a whole? Did you guys go to all the talks and everything? Yeah, so we went to the majority of the talks. Um, probably about 80% of them. There was a couple of them that we really just didn't have any interest in. Um Definitely really interesting to hear people from all over talk about their you know, their expeditions and adventures and, and stuff like that with the that they were studying. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, purchasing tickets to the IHS, we got into the Houston Zoo, which was a lot of fun. Um, that was the first time that I've ever seen both. That was four or five of them, at least. Um, they got a really, really nice collection. We got the behind-the-scenes tour there. Um, so we got to go back and see some of their stuff. Um, they had the banquet dinner, you know, open bar, which was super, super cool. Wow. I didn't uh, anytime there's an open bar, like, oh, but, you know, ticket price is worth it for an open bar. Um, and then the, the reptile, no, not the reptile, the, um, the auction for IHS was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just imagine any kind of reptile auction there is. I imagine Tenley is probably a lot crazier. Um, but, you know, they're auctioning off a piece of art. It starts at two or three hundred bucks. And next thing you know, it's at seven grand. There's people screaming and hollering and having a good time. 
fun. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the hotel that the IHS was at was under construction, but there's no way they could have known that they were going to do construction the week of. Uh, but uh, other than that, it was it was a great time. That's so, pretty awesome. So I guess the question Belize. So yeah, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> well, from Houston. I was going to ask, are you going yeah. for going to Tinley? But are you going to Belize still? Or what? No, so we're probably not doing anything uh, international for a while. We're definitely going to uh, be hitting Carpet Fest 2K19, uh, Southeast Carpet Fest. Um, if you guys want to check that out, it'll be down in Florida. It'll be super great. It's at Cody and Pia's house, I believe. I'm not really sure if that's confirmed yet or not. Um, oh, so they're not doing um, Dave Palumbo's again? Not Dave Palumbo again. Okay. No, it won't be at Palumbo's again, uh, which was great. Uh, you know, we had a, a great time when we were down there. Uh, super beautiful house, great family. Uh, guy's super friendly. He has a beautiful collection. Uh, but I think that was a little bit further south than most people wanted to go. Um, so it'll be up uh, up near Gainesville-ish, kind of central central northern Florida. Um, yeah, so we're definitely going to that. Uh, we might try to make it to Tinley, which I believe is in October, correct? Yeah. Coming up real soon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we might try to go to that. Um, and then we're definitely going to be planning to go to the Carpet Fest up there with you guys and, and Eric and Owen and everybody Yay! next time. Yeah. Uh, so we definitely want to try to hit the OG Carpet Fest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty much our goal to have a shirt from every Carpet Fest in, in that calendar year. Um, Hell so. yeah. It'll be our first one next year. Yeah, it'll be like our crazy, first OG but... Carpet Fest, and we don't have to go anywhere for a while. Well. <laughs> It's probably about the same as we went to Tony's place or yeah, Bill's place. Yeah, well, 45 but, minutes. But, I mean, it will be obviously awesome to be there at the original one, and we haven't been I there I feel yet. like we got to know some more people. I don't know. I feel like all we know is Eric and Owen. Yeah, you just go for some snakes, and you'll be all right. Like, lately we've been too busy to branch out and go to all the shows, but now we're kind of settling down, and we're trying to figure out shows to go to and stuff like that, so maybe that will change. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, how's the, uh, the reptile scene up that way? You got a, a lot of shows and, and shops and whatnot, or? Well, it's really hard going. I didn't realize how spoiled we were in Dallas. Like, I knew there was a lot, but just that's all I knew. You know, him and I started dating in Dallas, so that I thought it was all kind of like that. I knew we had NARBC, which is one of the biggest, and I knew that wasn't something right. that was everywhere. But I assumed everyone had shows like that. Well, we can't cry because there's White Plains, there's Hamburg, there is obviously a bunch of local shows. There's, there's the not. Maryland shows. What are you talking? We, I feel like there's not. There's a show this weekend in Oaks, which is like a half hour away from here. There is Hamburg, which is okay. 40 minutes away from here. I guess There's I White Plains, it which is like, like two hours away as, from here. As Dallas. Just because we haven't been going. <laughs> just trust me. Is there is. But it is? also, it's that like we always um, knew a bunch of people who were like, hey, you go into this one, you go into that one. So yeah. like, like we were always... And th- there are in Dallas, man. There's always a reptile show in the area or the immediate area. Okay, that's not too bad. How are you guys liking Philly so far? Um, it's all right. 
<laughs> no, it's been great other than obviously our first debacle, which if people want to hear more first about debacle. that. We've had debacle after We've had debacle, debacle after debacle. debacle. But <laughs> all the animals are fine. That's good. Well, we only lost one, one during the move. When it's one. like physically lost, not like lost from sickness. No one got sick, which I heard is like impossible to do, but I've done it like four times <laughs> moving, so uh, right. I don't know if I, be- if I truly believed. Never mind. Let me not get into that. Oh no. Um, I don't know. We like Philly. It's Is there a curse on us? Is that what you were feeling like? At? There's a curse on us, and that we. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. You just got to kind of power through and, and you know keep your chin up and stay positive about it. So we're not homeless. That's really <laughs> cool. <laughs> I went in there. That works. Just have a blind guy in lines. Is the black guy? Uh, is that just the you know the fucking Philly? You get in a, a bar fight type of thing? Or yeah, yeah. that's totally his fault. But yeah, but she got Lyme's disease too. So. <laughs> yeah, right. so that's fun. you know paying right. two rents on two houses. Um, Lyme's disease, a black guy, my car. <laughs> Yeah, your car exploded upon arrival. Okay. Uh, like, it's like up to like 10 things of all things. But yes, the animals are all great. And we are hopefully maybe vending a show this weekend, our first show. I don't no, know. we pretty much. Did uh, I didn't think there, there would be tables sold out, but it seems like everywhere's sold out. And it seems like you got to blow a troll to get into any shows blow around here. So. <laughs> well, it is the week of. So it we is the week of. So that's fair. But I feel like at Lone Star in Dallas, there's like always a way to get in. But here, there's a show in Philly this weekend and a show in Pittsburgh, which I think is dumb, by the way. You shouldn't have them on the same weekend. But Pittsburgh's four and a half hours away, and they're both local shows, so no one really travels for either. No one's trying to do both, is what you're saying? Nah. Okay. Well, I wouldn't think anybody's trying to make both. Well, that's what, but if they were staggered, a big. Uh, Sony was a big collection. We're trying to hit both, right? Maybe. That's like in Dallas, people hit Conroe and Houston, yeah, and Dallas, and yeah, those are all, all about three hours away, and they're all spaced out. Yeah, but Texas is a much larger state. Here, you can hit like we can hit the Maryland shows, we can hit it's New not, York okay. shows, and all that stuff. So, well, we're either going to we're going to a snake show somehow this weekend. We're at least going. We're trying yeah, we're to We're going to go but... to the Philly one if we can't vent Pittsburgh. But we're hoping maybe we can get into vent Pittsburgh, which will be our first time vending, which will be very exciting. I don't think cool. he should vend with a black eye, but you know. <laughs> oh, no. You just use that to sell snakes. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, have you seen? To your advantage. Yeah, have you seen people who sell snakes? All right, I think we're all right. I mean, there's not many standards involved in our industry, for sure. I do hate to uh, to cut it short, but I've got to get going and get the kids in bed. Uh, I just want to say I really appreciate you having me on. Sorry, man, I couldn't make it tonight. She was working a little bit later. Um, so, of course, I appreciate you coming out, and then also we'll have to have you on with Amanda at some point. Once you guys get deeper into the whether she resents you for having so many snakes or vice versa, uh, kind of at the point where Melissa <laughs> is now, where she... <laughs> oh, no, we we actually we're both on the same page right now, where we both want more. Uh, I mean, there's no end number in mind, but it's definitely somewhere in the triple digits at some point. So uh, it's 
hopefully one day one of us can uh, can work full time with the animals, and then the other one will have the the other full time, oh, quote unquote, normal job. Um, don't know when that'll be, but uh, sometime in the future we'll have more. No, that's the dream. Have someone keep their health benefits, and then have the other one work the stakes. Well, oh yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you taking out the time and uh, we'll talk for a little bit about our perilous life, I guess. We got real negative there. But uh, <laughs> if, they want, if but, people want to reach out to you. Oh, yeah. If people want to reach out to you, Dallas, where can they reach you? Yeah. So if people want to reach out um, on Instagram, I am at The Average Herper. Um, Facebook at Dallas Rua. Uh, you can find our Facebook business page at Rurica Bluebridge, but there's really nothing on there yet. We haven't really set any of that up. Uh, we should have that up and running pretty soon with some pictures, prices. Um, once we get these little guys uh, fed a couple of meals and a, a few sheds, they'll be going up for sale pretty soon. Um, uh, you know, if, if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to me personally, my email is dallasru at gmail.com if you want to reach out. Um, I'm more than willing to take questions or anything like that as well. So, hell yeah, hit them up, people. All right, all right. Okay, bye. Thanks, man. You guys have a good one. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> for sure. So about because I mean people are talking about going on a vacation. Our vacation, I think, is going to be Tinley. At least to me, that sounds like a great vacation. Mm-hmm. So this is a call. <laughs> so does anyone want to share a room with us? Anyone got a floor in Tinley yeah. for us to sleep on? That would be sick. Because I think we can swing hotel or plane. I don't think we can. Rude, I don't want to swing both. We can. Yeah, well, we no, I'm driving both. no matter what. Babe, that sounds like a t- it's 11 hours. Why would we drive that? Uh, duh, because it's Tinley and you drive. What? 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 Why? <sighs> if if we're don't. going with a big group of people, but if it's just us, that makes no sense to drive it. Why? Because it would take us, I mean, 12 hours really isn't that bad. I want to get there. Obviously, we're not going to be able to get there by Friday. But the thing is, you got to go to the airport. You got to get an Uber or whatever to the venue. Um, obviously, I guess we're only going to show up for Saturday, aren't we? Because that's like lame. Saturday if you're going to do Tinley. On Friday and Saturday? If you got to do Tinley. It's really worth it to be a vendor and just to be there for Friday. Why? Or I guess you could do no, VIP. No, it's on Saturday and Sunday. Yes, it is. But Friday they start setting up and that's when all the shit goes down. Yeah, we're, we can't afford VIP. I know. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. If anyone's wondering how to actually do it, either vend it or get VIPs. Because Friday, all the good animals are already gone by the end of Friday. What? That's not so kind of like the Hampshire and Ham show in Germany, where like shit goes down in the parking lot. Basically, everything goes down. Shit happens that Friday is when the vendors pick each other's stuff, and all the vendors at Tinley are the best of the best, pretty much. Also, you know, though, if we're going to Tinley, we're not buying anything. Also, yeah, we're I not. Mean, so I don't keep know why, that, why do we that need our VIP? best of the best anything. is like nothing. You know, like we don't we don't like the high end shit that's going to be gone way, on Joseph. Friday. We are not buying anything. We well, are putting all in our money to go to have fun. We are not buying anything at this show. Well, we need to just... We're just I gonna... will hide your money. You're not buying anything. No, it's not that we're buying anything. We're just going <laughs> to... So then why do we need the We're going to go to the bar on Saturday and Sunday. There's a bar connected. I don't know if you, you've never been to Tinley. 
But so, so then why do we need the VIP if we're not buying anything? Okay, let me let me talk. Well, <laughs> I know. But you get to talk to everyone. It's so crowded and intense that it's hard to get around. It's hard to talk to everyone like you want to if you're not there beforehand. But if you're in the know, what you want to do is you go to the show either on Saturday or or probably Saturday or Friday night. You go to the bar that's connected to the venue. So there's a convention center that also is a hotel that also, of course, has a hotel bar. But... You're not doing it right if you're not staying for the hotel bar on Friday night and Saturday night. Because that's really where you all talk to each other like real humans. humans. You don't have the facade of having to sell stuff or, you know, and it's really like the who's who of reptile people. And it will blow your fucking mind if you're a weird, like, reptile nerd fucking weirdo who, (laughs) like, the first time I was at Tinley, it was like... (gasps) You know, like, all the people I've heard about are real. And it's stupid because they're all obviously just normal people, but... No, I am totally down with the drinking part. I'm just not down with the buying things part. Yeah, like Brandon said, it's networking No, I'm not against that. I understand. (laughs) That's what I'm saying that we're going for. We're going for the fun part. Yeah. So what the fuck is wrong with flying? Yeah, because Friday night I want to be there. You can fly and get there Friday night. There's more chance true. we're going to get there Friday night by flying by fly- than driving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're going to work on Friday. Yeah, the issue is my job. Yeah, that is an issue, huh? But, I and- mean, it is just an opportunity to talk to everyone that we've ever had on this podcast. Like, most people will be here for, you will be there. You know, who we've had on, like, this podcast, people that we haven't met, people that we wanted to met. It's just really the who's who of reptiles, and it's worth it to get out there. It used to be, Orlando used to be that show, but since like the interwebs and all that good stuff, Tinley is really the premier show to go to. I mean, there's really no other place to go to if you want to find not necessarily the best animals, because not everyone vents shows. So like some... Even though people aren't vending, they'll still be around. You know, like, I don't know of a better example than, like, Justin Kabelka. If you're into ball pythons, Justin may not be vending, but he'll be around. So you'll get to talk to him and you'll be like, hey, this is Justin Kabelka. Holy shit. So it doesn't even matter who's vending. You can look at the vendors list and be like, okay, yeah, that seems kind of cool. But and then there's going to be three times as many cool people there. Like, there's going to be just as many cool people not vending as vending. So... It's something that, I mean, every reptile person, it will be like what I felt the first time I went there was like, oh, finally, there's a room of all of us together. And like, we can (laughs) like, everyone's super serious about this thing. You go to a local show, there's a lot of pet people looking for pets and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people just lollygagging around looking at stuff. Tinley is like, Oh, these are all the people that are exactly like me. Like, not only are they interested in reptiles, they are, like, fucking enthralled and obsessed with reptiles. And it consumes their whole life, and that's why they're at Tinley, which is, like, unique to any other show. And this is sponsored by Tinley (laughs) by NERBC. So if someone has a cousin, brother, mother, sister... 
lover who lives in if your side chick is in chicago (laughs) (laughs) who has we have our own air mattress if (laughs) someone has a floor (laughs) yeah i don't care how we do it and i'm sure like we'll figure it out when i first went there i uber wasn't really a thing so now that i know that uber exists i can be like oh we can get a shitty motel 20 miles out of town do you know how expensive an uber will be 20 miles now, uh, but it's less than <laughs> the fact is that the hotel is 100% sold out. That's yeah. a given. But if a friend wants to be a friend, then that would be excellent. But I mean, if we have to get a shitty motel somewhere else, we always can. I mean, there's always options or we I would just sleep in the car, but you're not going to do that. Excuse me. I, we're said, flying. I said I would just sleep. Oh, yeah, we're flying. We don't even have that option. See? We would have had a hotel built okay, in if we I'm drove. I'm sorry, you're saying you'd sleep in the car. Where the hell are you going to shower shit and poop? That's the same thing. Um, where are you going like, to... Where am I going <laughs> to shit and where am I going to poop? I don't know. Sorry, where are you going to do the other thing? Shower, shave, and shit is like what you're supposed <laughs> you to say. But I don't... Where are you... <laughs> don't worry about us showering. This is not about us showering. This is not about hygiene. This is about going to Tinley. This has nothing to do with all hygiene. These people we look up to and we're not going to shower? Listen, half of them are smelly anyway. Let's be honest. Okay. Well, this is just a They're PSA the same to all our boat. friends. Brandon Wheeler, Garrett <laughs> Hartle, uh, Eric and Owen. Who else do we know? Well, don't put uh, the pressure Stephen on Katz. All We're not begging. People. You're not supposed to beg. You're We're supposed just to just put it out there very lightly. If they have a area of room. Like just a floor. Just a floor, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds so pitiful. But the crazy yeah, thing is, is it's so in less than a pitiful. month. Like, if we're trying to do this, we have Darren to Darren find- Watson said we can shit at an IHOP, which is a very <laughs> random place. <laughs> I mean, you can shit at like any McDonald's too, but IHOPs work probably better. But the thing is, it's in less than a month. We need to buy tickets now. Yeah. And tickets like- Aren't I mean, cheap. Not to get real, but like we don't have $400 to drop on tickets right now. So I'm not sure how this dream is going to So guys, if you reality. want drugs- Wait, what? I was joking. I said I was going to sell drugs. No, if you want snakes. Oh, That's if you want you, snakes. Something we, have we actually available. have to sell. To sell, if you want snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you went to drugs. We have uh, antibiotics for Lyme disease. <laughs> it's doxycycline mono, hundred milligram tablets. You got to take them twice a day for twenty-one days. <laughs> and you're not supposed <laughs> to drink alcohol on it. And, and don't I ever drink it. alcohol on it. <laughs> slash, wash it down with alcohol. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, the tracks have been run off. That's for sure. Um. Okay. We're not gonna. We're not gonna humor Brandon's question because he knows the the answer to that. I guess the thing is also at Tinley you meet all the people no matter who they are. Where well, <laughs> there's it's no been interesting. You're. I don't want to go down this road, but I'll go down it a little bit. You've been talking about how, like, last year is, like, all the people you, you know, you really wanted to meet. And I wonder, do you think, has that changed? Never meet your heroes. What do you mean? Has that. Who? I'm trying to think. I'm of... not specifically. Because I'm I, not Because I met. But I know personally, for me, I had a feeling towards some people. And obviously now I don't have that feeling. Right. And so. But I think I'm more of a bitch than you are. 
No, I I would like to talk to anyone and everyone. Okay. I really don't mind. And the fact is that I mean, everyone gets that facade broken at some time, like because you see people of different from different places, like especially reptile people. It is a weird thing to where you can build up someone in your mind who is really a very, very normal person, especially because even the most famous, um, even the most famous snake breeder is no one to the general public, right? Right. right. It's different if you like baseball and obviously the biggest baseball player in the world is is world famous right but it's different in reptiles so once you go up to you can go up to anyone and be like hey man i love this and this and they'll be like thanks and they'll talk to you if you know what you're talking you know like everyone's willing to talk to you everyone's willing to meet you but you do get that facade of someone's great and powerful and then you learn more and then it's like oh maybe i don't really care too much to to meet people anymore is there that thing Tinley, um, I don't know how to phrase this, but like at other reptile shows, like in Dallas, there is obviously people who are, it's, they're just like heard about the snake show and they're coming. They don't know any snakes. They don't know anything, you know, whatever. And then obviously people who are very knowledgeable. And so whenever we go talk to someone new at the snake shows in Texas, it's always like that awkwardness of like, how do we let them know we know about snakes without sounding like complete douches? Oh, so, so I know. I'm saying, does that happen at Tinley? Is there, is there, is there a level? There's still expect- general public. Oh, okay. It's not yeah. expected that everyone kind of knows about snakes So what there. she means is that like sometimes we will walk around and it's weird because that's kind of being an asshole just thinking that you're better than the general public. <laughs> but, but you know, people treat you like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, of course, I know that. Right. Because like, we're but not just a normal a person, dick. but you don't want to say that. <laughs> but I mean... You kind of, but I didn't you know assume at Tinley. If someone has like a black know. python project shirt on, I mean, clearly if I have a Bolin's python shirt on, you, you know, know something. that you know at least what a Bolin's python is, which is better than most people. Which I learned this weekend from Joe Rogan's post, by the way. <laughs> yeah, don't even and get the into fights that. fights we got in. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see because I always feel awkward in that situation, even like when we go and like pet stores that's when it's really awkward because they really dumb it down because you know most people because it's like usually like a 16 year old telling me facts about something that are untrue and and i don't know how to say no i'm just like oh yeah 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 yeah. joe doesn't ever correct them yeah no i feel bad but i mean i try to but i don't want to overdo it because then i seem like a dick so i kind of I'll subtly do it a couple times, and then if they keep on going, I'm just like, "All right, whatever, yeah, yeah, go with yeah, it. cool, keep it at 95." I'm such a, I'm <laughs> such like a, you know, there's people who want to educate the world about reptiles. Uh-huh. I'm so like a path of least resistance kind of person. I just walk it's like, away though. It just I try me too much. I know, I know. It frustrates me. <laughs> I like I try away. as much as I can until I realize that it's a lost cause, and I'm like. All right, have a good one. Yeah, I, I totally no, understand. You, no, no, you don't say have a good one. You stay there and you entertain I'll humor that shit a little bit. You yeah, stay you're right. there. And I'm like, babe, say something. Like, you know what she's saying is wrong and you just keep doing it. But it, it's also, it's a weird mix between like, you don't want to be like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about right. because that's just rude as fuck. And I don't want to belittle anyone, and I don't know the good way to 
correct it while being constructive while saying hey i actually know because people try to correct them all the time i'm sure especially with some real bullshit like 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 they may be spewing a little bit of bullshit incorrectly correct but like but like some real bullshit like they're sick of getting asked is it venomous do you let them loose in your house uh fucking how big does it only get as big as an enclosure they get all the stupid questions so they're like this is just another stupid fuck trying to correct me you know so i don't want to be it's hard it's a delicate it's delicate game so i'm hoping at tinley we don't feel the awkwardness and they just know that we know this little telepathy thing (laughs) well no it's that we're gonna know a lot of I mean, we're going to at least know enough to introduce ourselves properly. So what you're going to do is like, hello, say Travis Whistler. I don't know Travis Whistler at all, but I know that he'll be vending at Tinley. And I'm assuming that he's vending at Tinley because I saw him last time I was there. But I'm going to be like, oh, hey, Travis, I'm a corn snake breeder, too. I've heard about you and uh, all that stuff about the palmetto, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll be like, oh, OK. Like, there's obviously an end to where you, so you can gotta have your little pre prepared like wine thing but i mean that's what we do at regular shows too because i don't when we go to someone's table what i do is talk about the blackheads and talk about how awesome they are and what line it is blah 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 you know like with that one particular guy at any rbc then he's like oh okay like you're one of us you know (laughs) you know like you know what a blackhead python is like you're cool you kind of have those little those little cues that you tell each other that you're like okay yeah this guy's legit even if it's like no matter what there's like that ball python guy who has one white lip on his table or something like that and that i don't talk about the enchi spider i talk about the The white white lip lip. and then they're like okay yeah he's yeah and then it's always fun for me once y'all go past the part where I know stuff. And once people and bring you in, which is hilarious. No, no it's really awkward then. Because it's funny because it's like, <laughs> I want them to know I know stuff. But obviously, you know way more. So, like, we have this small five-minute period where it's like both of us are engaged. And then y'all keep talking for, like, ten minutes more. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they they try to talk to us both. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know what they're saying right now. <laughs> and I just have the best, like, fake look in my head. Like, oh, really? Okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, just like you try to talk the most. Because <laughs> then it goes past me. Um, which I'm worried also about, Tinley. Because I feel like it's going to be two minutes of stuff I know. And then the rest of it. Well, the thing about Tinley is that even though it is the premier reptile show, you're still going to see mostly ball python breeders. So, okay. So, and then the guy who you're going to be, we're going to be talking all that shit to is going to be like Eric and Owen. And you're going to be like, oh, okay. They know that I don't know. I don't know. So it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who else are we really going to talk to on that deep of level at Tinley? Uh, Well, probably some corn snake people that I don't, because if people don't know, like I'm not involved in the corn snake community at all, which is kind of, it's fucked up and it's unintentional, but it's just what happened. So Yeah. Oh, Dallas is now in the chat after B. Because <laughs> he put the kids to bed. Mm. He's in the chat. Well, that's not bad. 15 minutes to put the kids to bed. I mean, I don't know how kids work, but I heard it's hard to put them to bed. <laughs> well, his kids are older, to six and nine. I don't know what that means. They're, that's it's the baby easy. to me. Babe, come on. Is that like a two-year-old corn stink? Think of Aaliyah and Maya. Yeah, yeah. They they're just kind of do what they're They told. just kind of go to bed. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. That's right. You don't have to like read seven million books and shit at that point. <laughs> hey, I don't know. Um Okay. It is past our time and I wanna go watch the Emmys. So oh. let's end this. And I really want ice cream. Oh what that place closes at nine. Thirty, I thought. Oh, I don't know. You don't better know. do you some. You also told go- me that Googling. dairy's gonna make me feel really sick. Yeah, but you can get water ice. That's not dairy. You know, I'm gonna go get a milkshake. Okay, in this podcast. Hey, so thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> this is this is brought to you by NERBC <laughs> Tinley Park. Damn it, it did. Just close kidding. At nine. It has not. It did close at nine. So no ice cream for you. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. PortCityPythons.com. We have animals available, Port City Pythons. Thanks for joining us, Dallas, who is now in the chat. Thanks for joining us. All the people in the chat. What else do you have to say? Um, keep a lookout on our website. We're gonna post some more tomorrow. If you wanna house us at Tinley. Oh, also, <laughs> um, check out this podcast called Reptile and in-, in Chill. Reptile and Chill. Oh, true. We should have said it at the beginning. Yeah, I'm I don't an know why you did. Sorry, I didn't mean to actually so do that, we people. were on a UK podcast yesterday, and I don't want to spoil it, but it was a little quiz, Reptile Master quiz, between us and the great people of NPR. <laughs> the great. You could probably take a guess who won the quiz. Um, but it was fun, and it was great to talk to some people across the pond. And they spoke. They speak funny, so you're going to want to find they out how speak, they speak. They don't speak like that. They're much you more speak like- uh, crude. They're, they're, oh, Br- they're British. It's much more crude oh, than oh. that. This is our terrible British accents. It's really bad. we got to stop doing this. Are we just going to end the show like this? <laughs> yes, we are. You fucking... <laughs> Um, but We've gone fucking off the wire here. I don't here. think we shared it on our Port City Pythons Facebook page, but we will share that podcast we are on. Oh, you're getting way out of it. That's really bad. You're losing it. You're losing it for sure. But we are on there. <laughs> We're on there. What was that? Actually? We're on there. Let me tell you. There. That's the guy. That's the guy who got his nuts beaten by a gator. <laughs> Let's bring this shit all back around. That's that's cousin Billy who took his nut out and got cracked down by a gator, man. Look at that dumb bitch name roll, you know what I mean? Stop stop Woo Woo Brandon says the disaster outro is back. Oh. <laughs> that's so but true. Go listen to that podcast that we're on and support our friends Danny and Dan and Mike. Um, we will share it on. And Eric and Owen are on there too. And Eric and Owen, but they don't need support. They already got enough. (laughs) (laughs) They got. Eric's probably our only listener at this point, so you're getting real salty. (laughs) Oh God. Um. Oh fuck! How do I end it? Oh no. I'm I'm gonna pee. I gotta pee. You declared that. But this is the longest outro of all time. Like I'm going to pee. Like. That's what she do every 15 minutes anyway. <laughs> wow. Okay. Don't tell people about my overactive bladder on national radio cast. National radio cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What the fuck? Oh. This needs to end. Okay. Okay. All right. See you guys later. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Obviously, we are not going to tell you who's on next week because that will fuck Oh, yeah. Ourselves. We told who is going to be on the podcast on Reptile and Chill. And they're clearly they not on the podcast. So. Because our curse is real. We are cursed in so many facets of our And I life. so much thank Dallas for coming on. On like, we just 
we just messaged Dallas today. It was like, come on. You didn't and have to tell the people that. No, but I'm glad that I'm saying I'm. <laughs> he's a good friend. He's a good friend and for coming on. And he was a great person to talk to. And exactly. we learned a lot of things that like we don't know about. And yeah. We- <laughs> about like the bones and stuff. Yeah, that was crazy. I gotta sneeze. Wait me not. Oh my, what are we doing? We were trying to end this. Stop talking about your sneeze. Well, you get mad at me when I sneeze with the mics on, so. I was- oh my god, well, you were supposed to say bye, and then maybe sneeze. Sorry. Oh, fuck. If anyone's still listening, it's a fucking miracle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you when you message us about key- keeping us in your hotel in Tinley. <laughs> Great, great plug there. That was great. Talk to you when you reach bye. out. Bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Thanks. Love Later. you guys. Bye. <laughs>